Welcome to the Brain Trust Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Whether you're a leader, a coach, a salesperson, or even a parent, this podcast focuses on how to leverage the science of decision-making to help you become a more impactful communicator and a driving force for change. Well, welcome back to the Driving Change Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Bloomfield. Uh, boy, many of us have watched a lot of movies over our lifetime, and we've been motivated by a lot of things like movies and like stories and like people. You know, one of my favorite movies over the over my, I guess, the last thirty years has probably been the Friday Night Lights, which was turned into a show. And and today's guest is going to give us a really unique perspective, not just on the school that a lot of that 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 whole concept was was mapped around, but as a coach in this school there in his life what Dr. Nate Hearns, otherwise known as coach to a lot of folks out there, what his life's journey has led him to. Um, He epitomizes what it means to be uh, brought up by the bootstraps, and we're going to talk about that a little bit in his story. He's been instrumental in combining education and athletics, uh, really helping young men especially, but really people of all genders and all ages understand a little bit how they've been molded and what what the creator has in store for their life. Um, his life journey, I've, as I've researched him, is so fascinating to me because his whole purpose from the moment the, the, the moment the light bulb clicked when he was young, his whole purpose became about how to lift others up and how to provide a way for others to see their uniqueness, their unique design, uh, how God designed them in a unique way to make a positive impact on the world. He's been doing that since he's, he was coaching at the at Paramian High School. Uh, they've been national champions back then. He's been assistant principal. He's won all kinds of, an, of awards. He's part of the, he's created the dropout prevention program, was recognized by the Texas School Business Magazine as the best prevention program in Texas back in 2010. And he's got his, I, I don't even want to tell you his educational background because it's going to, we're going to unpack it as we go. I'll just tell you that after this episode, if this doesn't light your fire, then your wood's wet because Dr. Nate coach is, is one of those guys that when you listen to him, his story, when you listen to his, his message, it's going to make you run through some walls. So, so coach, welcome to the driving change podcast. Jeff, you're a great man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be truly. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. And um, I love serendipitous introductions and that's kind of what, what, what this was with you and I to get to meet like this. And, um, the audience knows they're expecting the first question, so that this, that are consistent listeners. We really want to get to understand that early Nate and what really turns you into who you are today. So, if you wouldn't mind, take us all the way back to that origin story and talk us talk to us through a little bit about your early the early days, your background, who had a big influence on those early days, and forming who you would ultimately become. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. And 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 I'll cut, you know, I'll, I'll you know, I don't want to talk too long about, uh, and then you just kind of give me a key, but I could go on forever about that. Uh, I grew up in poverty, Jeff. Uh, middle child of eight siblings would have been nine. My brother died, youngest brother died at birth. And uh, my father, he worked at a humble full service station on Main Street. My mom, she worked as a domestic. She cleaned houses the majority of her life. We lived in a three-room, not bedroom, a three-room house that sat on cinder blocks. There was no uh, indoor bath facility, no hot water. Whenever my mom rented us to take her bath, she'd heat the water up on the stove and 
poured into a number three foot tub. I remember many days, my older brother, he's four years older. We wore clothes. The majority of our clothes came from the homes that my mom cleaned and uh, she would mend them. And my older brother, he'd wake me up on Saturdays. And sometimes we would scour the neighborhood alleys, going through the trash cans and find the thickest cardboard we could, the best cardboard we could find to put it in the soles of our shoes to keep the heat of the pavement out. In the summer, the water out when it rained, the cold out in the winter because our father didn't have the money to buy shoes on a regular basis. I remember my uh, elementary school days vividly because they're a pivotal moment in my life. My, um, I decided in elementary that I was gonna drop out of school. I had had enough. I remember my mom, she would um, line us up and she'd give us dry meat and bread, bologna sandwiches and brown paper sack and two cents for a quarter of milk. It was very difficult for me walking around with holes in my clothes, and holes in my shoes and carrying that bologna sandwich. Um, I, it, it reflected in everything I did. Low self-esteem, every grade in elementary school was D's and F's. I don't ever remember making an A in elementary school, but I do remember at the end of sixth grade, running all the way home and telling my mom, I'm never going back. I had enough of the embarrassment but my mom was one of those strong mothers and she was very adamant about me getting an education. And I uh, went to seventh grade, hated it. Nothing had changed, holes in my shoes, holes in my clothes. And then I walked into Mr. Hague's fifth period science class, <laughs> turned my world around. That was just the start of it. Uh, a great teacher, a great motivator, a great uh, 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 character developer, mentor. Uh, he just turned my life around. I, I'd never, I grew up in poverty. I didn't know anything about science. I'd never seen a microscope, none of that. And uh, he set me on the front row in his class and, and I just sweated the whole day. But he was the kind of teacher that, you know, you're in a classroom and you just think he's teaching to me. And that first day, on that front row, I'd never sit on the front row before. Before I'd always got in the back because I'd learned in elementary school, when you have holes in your clothes, when you have a carrier, bologna sandwich is gonna smell. When you have holes in your shoes, you want to sit in the back. You don't want anyone in behind you. You want everything in front because the people behind you, that's always trouble. But he set me on the front row in his class. And, and I thought this is the worst thing that could happen. But it wasn't. It was the best thing that happened in my life because he cared. He was a relationship builder. He gave me, uh, I made an A in his class and he made me his lab assistant. And he put a white lab coat on me with my name on the pocket and it transformed my Wow. Life. And that did me in there. I go out to seventh grade football. I'm standing in line with all the other seventh graders waiting for the coaches to come out to introduce themselves. And I walk this big, it's John of a man. He's six foot four. I'm the smallest thing out there. I'm at the end of the line. Coach Mark Wallace, and he, he goes down the line shaking hands. He gets to me and he says, Hearn, you Hearn? Yes, sir. He said, Hearn, I heard a lot of wonderful things about you. And I go, me? <laughs> he said, Hearn, I heard you're a good athlete. And you're going to be on my team. We're going to have a lot of fun winning football games. And he smiled at me. That happened on the very first day of seventh grade. Turned my world upside. I went home 
walking on a cloud because two teachers in one day had affirmed me and that had never happened before. I couldn't wait to get back to school. Went back to school Tuesday early and, and Coach Wallace was a man of his word. He put me on his team. During the two weeks, he's getting us ready for that first game. I become his starting running back on offense, his starting cornerback on defense. He never takes me off the field. And on top of this, he has these life impact and transformational things he's doing and saying, I've never been coached like that before. And, and you know, the question is, when you when someone do you like that, when someone treats you like that, what do you not want to do? You don't want to let them down. Right. He had my heart. I would have ran through 15 brick walls for him. I remember after I would leave Mr. Hake's class, I would I would go into warp speed trying to get to the field house to beat everyone there. The reason why I'm trying to do that is because I don't, I don't want them to see the holes. I just didn't have holes in my shoes and in my pants and T-shirt. I had holes in my socks, underwear, T-shirts. I had holes in everything. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want my teammates to be, see that. So I rushed over there to beat them, especially my locker mates. I, I didn't, two guys that dressed beside me, I didn't want them to see that. So one day I'm over there and I think I've made it. You know, I've got my uniform on, I'm tied up my cleats. And I look up and I see Coach Wallace walking toward me. Comes over, I was six foot four of him. He stands beside me, puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, Hearn, he says, son, those holes in your clothes, those holes in your shoes. It's not an indication of the man you're going to become. Wow. He said, Hearn, you're special. He said, uh, there's nothing you can't do. Me, coach? <laughs> yes, Hearn. You can be anything you want to be. Just months earlier, Jeff, I, I'm, 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 I'm going to drop out of school. And if you know anything about public education, you don't drop out when you turn 18. You drop out in the third, the fourth, the fifth grade. You drop out mentally, emotionally, physically. That's when you drop out. And that's where I was. But now, because of the laughing pact and transformational things he's doing and coaching me, I've got a dream at 13 years old. I've got a dream that I turned into a goal that became my mission in life. I'm going to be a science teacher and a coach at age 13. And if my mom was standing here, my my brothers and sisters, they would tell you, he said that at 13 and nothing stopped him. He, no naysayers in my neighborhood, none of the students that, you, who do you think you are? Who, you, there's no one in your world that looks, is a coach in a science, who have you seen do that? I didn't care. I wanted to be like Mr. Hank and Coach Wallace. That's who I wanted to be like. And nothing would stop me from achieving that goal. And 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 I I get to high school, I make the honor roll, straight A's. Wow. I go into my counselor calls me in. And you know how they do it then, you know, when you're senior, they call you in and they ask you, what are you going to do? Where you want to go? And I tell her, I'm going to be a science teacher and a coach. And she says this to me. You can't do that. You, you, you can't go. You, 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 your parents can't afford college. You need to get a minimum wage job like your father. He'll be happy. And I thought, no, I'm going to be a science teacher and a coach. I got a scholarship. 
an athletic athletic academic scholarship to college. Graduated in four years, and I went back to that area that I grew up in, and I taught science, and I coached football and basketball and other sports for 35 years in the public school system, simply because two men believed in me. They believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And that's what transformed my life. They just didn't change me. They saved me. They saved my life. Wow. That's an amazing story. I want to, I want to kind of unpack a little bit of it. There's so much there. Right. And I, I think sometimes people hear folks like you come on and tell their story and, or hear somebody on TV or watch them on a keynote speaker on a stage somewhere. And they think, well, they're an outlier, but you don't have to be an outlier. Right. And I think what I love about your story is, and we teach this at brain trust and we help people uncover their personal connection story about where, where they come from and, and what value they have. You had these three influences, strong influences in your early development of your mother kind of consistently whipping your tail to get out there to the bus, to get to the school and making sure that you understood right from wrong, but you're going to keep going. Even when you had, what, eight siblings, seven siblings. And so she had that influence of hard work and do the right thing and keep going. And then we talk a lot about the, the science behind how beliefs drive behaviors. Yes, sir. The under the sixth grade and under Nate had a belief that was wrong, right? The belief was you didn't you didn't amount to anything. You weren't worthy. You weren't gonna you know you, you couldn't do something. And you looked at your surroundings. You looked at your environment. You looked at the circumstances you were in, and you'd already made up your mind that you were gonna believe that this wasn't gonna be good for you. That's right. And then all along comes a teacher and then a coach, and they started rewiring literally your, the neurons in your brain started getting rewired to believe something completely different. And I, I think about that all the time when I think about the influence we have on people all day long, every day, whether it be kids, grandkids, whether it be colleagues, clients, it doesn't matter. Because then the other part of your story I, I really love, and I didn't know this part, was then in our life, we're going to have people come in out of left field and tell us that what we're doing won't work like your counselor did. But you'd already rewired the belief. That's right. Right. You'd already decided this is what's going to happen. There ain't nobody going to come in and try to tell me that this is not going to happen. And you didn't, it's almost like you just didn't even pay a lick of attention to her. You just kind of kept on going with it and figured it out. Uh, what, what, a, what an amazing story. And then you tried to essentially become a combination of your, uh, of coach Wallace. And what was your uh, teacher's name again? H A A K Hake is how he pronounced it. Clyde Hake. So you, you essentially decided you're going to become a combination of Clyde Hake and Coach Wallace. Is that right? That's right. And that's the other part that's powerful to me is, is kids and children, and, and not even that, adults, we're, we're looking for examples of good yes. in our life. And that good is not what someone else accomplished, but what, have, what someone else made us believe we could accomplish. And then you spent the rest of your life not doing that. So, all right, so let's pick the story back up. So you go to college. Yes, sir. And, and you went on, you taught for 35 years, you coached for 35 years. G- give us a little bit of that story along the journey there. What, what are some examples of things that you really felt like you knew you were in the lane you were supposed to be in? Well, it, it, it's kind of kind of paradoxical. Uh, you know, I played ball in college and then I finished. I, I thought that, you know, like we all think, I'd go to um, high school, I'd coach in high school for four years, I'd go to a college, I'd coach in a college and I'd end up coaching in the pros somewhere. 
that, that that's what I had in my mind, yeah. <laughs> and so I get back to West Texas and uh, the all boom is on. No jobs. I'm working three jobs, cleaning pools, mowing lawns, cleaning buildings, and going to, and then on top of that, going to graduate school to get my master's. And uh, I do that all oh, for about four or five months. And I finally get a call from the school system and the uh, uh, human resource director asked me, is this Nate Hearn? Yes, sir. Said, I heard you're looking for a job. Yes, sir. We have an opening. Great. Elementary PE teacher. <laughs> and I'm thinking, ah, <laughs> no. And uh, uh, they go, uh, you want a job, right? You need a job, right? And I'm thinking about working all those jobs. And it, it just, and so I took it. You know, Je Jeff, kindergartners, nose running. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I'm thinking, what in the world? And then I find out it was the greatest job I ever had. Yeah. I saw the dynamics there that just it motivated me to see how those young kids, how they expressed themselves at that age, how they showed love and perseverance and integrity and character and and I, I always, when one of them, something was happening and I see one of them go over and he'd jump in there and he'd help his friend. And I always wondered what, I'd ask them, where did they come from? Who did you see do that? Why Why did you go in and defend your friend? And he's like first and second graders. And, 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 and they'll say a lot of things. But it always amazed me because now I have the opportunity to see them come back. And they are, in that that what they had with God, that innate ability that God puts inside of them, they took it in and just thrived in it. And I thought, wow, that's awesome. I seen them going to go play pro ball and, and all kinds of things, become doctors and lawyers. And I, I saw that in them, in that elementary school environment. And it just, it, it gave me a whole new perspective as I moved up. I went to junior high, coached football junior high in high school, even coaching college. And I could, I always had that advantage I felt of thinking about that kid when he was in first grade or second grade or kindergarten and how that character came out in him. And it's so easy. To, it's much easier to coach it, right? When you know we've seen it and how they just latch on to coaching. Kind of like I did. I didn't have it in elementary school, but I had it in junior high. And I just wanted to emulate that. I did that for four years and I got a call to coach seventh grade, my first football experience. It was at a lower socioeconomic school on the south side. And um, I went to see the high school coach. He told me, look, this is the program you need to run. If you run this program and you're successful with these kids playing football, then I'll move you up to the high school. And I wanted to be at the high school so bad. I wanted to coach football on the high school level so bad. He said, if you win down here with these kids in football, I'll move you up the next year. I go back and I tell the principal, he said, he's not going to move you up. He knows you can't win in football at this school. These kids don't come out for football. Now they'll come out for basketball, but they're not going to come out for football. You might get a handful of them for football. And he said, he's setting you up. 
He said, but I want you to do the same thing that you did for those kids over there at elementary school. Those kids love you. He said, I had to call the principal and he wasn't going to let you go. <laughs> he said, I had to, I had to threaten him that he could not hold you back from advancing yourself. And he said, I want you to do that same kid thing for those kids. The other program that they want to come to. He said, that's my challenge to you. Okay. First day of seventh grade football, 32 players come out. We have a gold and a green team. Now, mathematician, you add that up. How many do we both have? 16 boys, right? <laughs> and I go at it. I'm, I'm, I'm going at it. I, I want them to be the best. And I tell them, hey, guys, if you just hang with me, we can win it. And so I'm young and I'm aggressive and, and we're working hard. And after the first day of workout, three quit. <laughs> I've got... 13 boys left. And you know, when you have 13, you don't have 13 players, right? right? I had three who had never played football. Didn't even know how to put their uniforms on. Football's not like baseball. You don't, you can't stick somebody in right field and just hope that nobody hits the ball to them, right? You got, you got. <laughs> yeah. So we go at it. And long uh, story short, we win it. We win the division. 13 boys and, 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 and I'm working on and their heads down and they're, they're thinking, uh, this, this guy, that's what the three that quit said. He's crazy. <laughs> He's crazy. But those other 13 stayed with me and, 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 and we just kept going and, and I knew it was tough for them. I'd see them in the hallways, their heads down, their shoulders down. It's so hard. But that first game, the team comes over, they have 28 players. I have really, 11, those other three, they've never played, so I'm going to have to really see how I'm going to put them in the game. And I, my smallest player, he's pulling my jersey, my, my shirt, and I look down at him, and, and he goes, Coach, are we going to have to play all of them? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, Curly. And I said, guess what? We're going to beat them. And we did. We beat them 24 to nothing. The next team, we beat 28 to nothing. <laughs> we just went. They were amazing. They were amazing. And we win it. And each week in that hallway, that, that head would come up, their shoulders, they'd stick their chest out. They became so hot that if you touch one of them, you get third degree burns. <laughs> they, they rule that school. Five of them from that team that wanted went on to Permian High School to play at Permian. Three were first-team All-Staters and got Division One scholarship that played on that team. The other two were all district players and got Division Two scholarship. That's how good they were. And my philosophy, and the principal called me and he says, how did you do that? We lived in a car of war zone, lots of drugs and fights and debts. And I said, Mr. Rutledge, that was the guy that hired me, the principal, I said, do you know I only have one boy that has both parents? Mm. And every single one of them that I had have either lost a, a sibling or a friend or a cousin to death and drugs in that neighborhood. And I said, I wasn't trying to win football games. I was trying to get them to believe that there's life bigger than being in that war zone. And I said, Mr. Rudders, when you give them something to believe in, a system to believe in, and when you push them beyond what they're capable of, of, 
what they think they're capable of achieving. And then you believe you build relationships with them, positive relationships with them. Success always follows. I've used that formula all my life, Jim. And those kids were my first experiment. And they still call me today. I can show you. They call me today and talk about, Coach, it was you who did it. Isn't that awesome? Wow. Now, how much in that first role there with that group, how much could you almost hear Coach Wallace coming out of your mouth when you Oh, were- man. Oh, man. Oh, it was, he, he was, I mean, it was like, you know, on my shoulder behind me because that's what I was emulating. That's the picture I had in my mind, yeah, who I wanted to be like. That day he walked in in that locker room and put his hand on my shoulder and said, Hern, son, it, this, this thing you're going to has no bearing. You can be anything you want to be. And I just kept relaying that message to my kids. You know, all the trouble at your house, all those 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 things that are going on at home. No, you can overcome all of that. And they believed it. They believed it and they achieved it. So one of the things that we talk a lot about is that when you look at someone's life and you think about what are they, what are their beliefs? You know, what do they ultimately come, come to believe? It's usually formed by some combination of their, their childhood and who had the, the strongest influence on them. It could be parent, grandparent, coach, teachers, their, their environment their life experiences, and then their society. Yes, sir. And as you've, you've seen a lot of, a lot of folks, a lot, you've seen, you've seen these guys grow, a lot of these kids have grown up now. They got kids and grandkids of their own, half of them probably. Of that, what, in today's world of technology and advanced information, you can have access to anything informationally you want, even in underprivileged areas, they're all walking around with, with iPhones now, right? That's right. That's right. What, what's been the, impact of that on what you've seen either in a negative way driving people the wrong direction or is there a positive to some of the the advances in in our ability to communicate or they have because you one of the things that struck me as you're saying is you wanted people to have a view that there's something bigger than the war zone they were living and growing up in now it almost feels like these kids have a view of way more than we ever could have imagined when we were kids of what's out there but it isn't always good So what's that balance look like in helping them really see who they are and who they can be, not necessarily where they're coming from or what the world will tell them they should be based on what they're seeing on their social media or whatever? I I think, and with all of these, this technology, and they're so much smarter and they have so much information coming in. But the one thing that I've noticed, and I still deal with a lot of kids more than anything else, um, they still believe that what you say, and, and I know this sounds tough, if, if they see what you say matches what you do, they buy into it. Because really, they want to be loved, they want to be treated fairly, they want to do great things. But if what you say doesn't match what you do, Jeff, that's a problem with them. Because they want that. How do you manage or how would you even encourage other leaders, tech parents for that matter, Sometimes we get so reactive because we, we're helping, we're looking at an individual, maybe they're 12 years old, maybe they're 32 years old, and we're looking at how they show up every day. And we can see the behavior does not align with what we hope that they would, would, would do. And so our reaction sometimes can come across like we're trying to be 
corrective and they feel almost condemned. It almost reinforces a resistance to change versus what you're saying, which is even in the moment where you feel as a leader, like they're almost, that's the opposite of what you want to see. You can't, you can't condemn it. You've got to coach into it. What's possible. How do you do that? Uh, from a, we know what I mean. Like when you have a group of people or even a student or a child where, you know, they're just off the, they're off the chain in the wrong direction. And it's easy to, you need to point out, a lot of people want to point out what they're doing wrong. And there's time and a place for that. How do you balance the speak truth into what they can become like you had versus continually going and saying, stop doing that. Stop doing that. You're doing that wrong. How do you find that balance as a coach from a accountability standpoint versus a speaking truth to the possibility of the future for that individual? I don't condemn them. Uh, I think the bottom line is still about love. And, and what I've always done in my career is that oh, even though I don't like your behavior, even though I don't know what's coming out in you, I, I know that there is some there's a reason for that. Yeah, there, There's a reason. And so that program that I put together, the whole thing was um, I would go to the homes. And some of when I walk, when I knock on those doors, sometimes at six or seven o'clock to tell them, hey, I'm really concerned about your child. And, and those they could be off the chain. I mean, just doing all kinds of things, skipping school, doing drugs, all kinds of things. And why are you showing up here? Because they know that they're children. Every parent is aware of what their children are doing. Some of them might not let you know. They might not want you to know, but they do know what's going on in that house. And when y'all walk in there at six or seven o'clock and knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here to help you with your child. And that child sees that. I'm going to win 80 to 90% of the time with that. As long as I stay consistent with my love for that child and not change my behavior, because that's what they're looking for. They're, they're looking for me to say, oh, yeah, you're, you're, you're a bad kid. You're no good. You don't have any potential. But if I can consistently tell the truth, what I say matches what I do. I consistently look and say, what you're doing here is no good. It's going to cause these problems. for I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to help you. Now, can I save them all? No. I can't. I just can't. At some point, they have to make a choice to want to be saved, right? That's right. I love that, though, the idea that how many times do we gravitate as leaders toward the easier folks to coach because they're already demonstrating a lot of the behaviors we'd like to see because we, we know it's going to make the organization more successful or the team or whatever the case might be. But being that coach that can show up consistently with empathy and love in the situation where they need it the most, that's hard, isn't it? It is. And maybe not everybody's cut out for that, right? But sometimes it takes a unique individual to have that kind of compassion uh, to show up consistently. But there's no no other solution is going to get that kid out of that situation, right? Or even an adult, for crying out loud. If if no one's intervened in some of these kids' lives until they're adults and now they're in the workforce and they're trying to make ends meet, but they've never unpack the junk in the brain trunk of their whole life's experiences of never having someone like you show up at six or seven o'clock. Now we got to deal with it as adults, right? In our companies, in our, in our families, in our communities. But I still think your, your message is spot on and as leaders is show up with empathy, with show up with some compassion, but show up consistently and make sure your behaviors always line up with what you say you're going to do. Yes, sir. So tell us a little bit more than, give me just a little, a little bit of the story on the Friday Night Lights thing. What was that all about? How'd that all come to be? It's, a, it's an amazing story. Just, just amazing. I um, went into uh, 
Uh, I coached that junior high team and had some great success with them. I coached football, basketball, boxing, track, and they just won. I mean, they were that good. They just, and uh, I got to a point to where um, I started feeling like, you know, I couldn't make ends meet. Um, I was taking home $600 a month. And so I had a brother who was working in the oil fields. And uh, I kept, you know, I'd talk to him and he'd go, how you doing? I'm okay. He goes, uh, I can tell you're struggling a little bit. He said, I can help you. He said, I can get you a job where you can make three, four times that money. He said, just come out here. It's an easy job. Uh, this is the this is the boom. And so I, I did. Um, he was a supervisor and he got me the job. And immediately, Jeff, immediately, I knew I had made a huge mistake. Mm. I missed those kids. I missed coaching. <clears throat> and I couldn't get out. And one day I'm sitting at home and those young men that I coached at division championship, the seventh graders, they were playing for Permian High School in the state championship. And I'm sitting at home watching them on, on the game, at the, uh, play the game. And then I thought, man, what would it have been like for me to coach them at Permian? And I, I just I just thought that. The next year, the head coach who had been there for 13 years, he resigned. And a new coach came in, Gary Gaines. He's uh, he's deceased. He died three months ago. He's Texas Hall of Fame now. He's a coach. And uh, as a coach. And uh, I'm sitting at home in the summer, and my telephone rang. And I pick it up, and the voice on the other end says, is this Coach Hearn? And I go, yes, this is, this is Coach and he said, uh, my name is Gary Gaines, and I'm the head coach at Permian High School, and I'm looking for a coach. He said, I've heard so much about you. He said, are you interested in coaching? I, I looked at and I said, is, is this a joke? <laughs> and he said, no, no, he's a coach, I'm serious. He said, do you have a moment? Can you come uh, for an interview now? And I go, yes, sir. So I put that phone down and put my clothes on. I go, that's the first time, Jeff, I had ever been at Permian High School. And in, in that locker room, in that office, and I'd lived all my, majority of my life in Odessa, but I'd never been to Permian. I'd never been in that office. And so I go in and, and this is what he said. I'll never forget it. He said, he said, coach, this is really not an interview. He said, I've called around, I've called around, and every single time I asked about a black coach, your name comes up. And he said, uh, I just want to let you know that this job is yours if you want it. I went, wow. And then he asked me this question. He said, "Would you? do you mind if I asked you to be a, a role model for the kids who are coming over? Hector did not integrate into 1980. Mm. And so when he brought me in, it was then during that time. And he asked me that question because the, the black athletes were coming from the, uh, from the other, the, the, the minority black school. And they were coming over and they were splitting from Odessa high and Permian. It was two schools, three high schools. And then they closed that school down and they had a choice to go to Permian Odessa, Odessa high. And so he asked me that question. 
And I said, coach, I don't mind at all. I said, but I need to say this since you said that to me. I don't mind. I said, but I need to say this. I'm going to be, if I'm a role model, I'm going to be a role model for every athlete that walks through that door. Every student that walk in my biology class, I'm going to be a role model for them. And he said, coach, I appreciate your answer. And that from there is history. <laughs> So what did so you you went you got a teaching job there as well and you were, you coached and never applied he just called me and then I find out Jeff that there were over two hundred and fifty applicants for that job. Well, uh, naturally, right? It's kind of like the powerhouse program of the time. And then what did you learn? Um, what did you learn in that experience that not only reinforced everything that you were about from Coach Wallace forward, but also that when it comes to athletics, when it comes to the human condition, that race is not nearly as relevant um, as, as what sometimes the culture wants to make it to be, that we're all, we, we all kind of bleed the same. We all look for the same. We all have the same desire for hope and belonging and affirmation. What, what were some of the learnings you found during that? Because at this point, you hadn't really coached in an environment that was mixed race, right? It was mostly African-American. Mm-hmm. What, what was that like? Well, it, it, what, 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 my training, um, because I, I this this happened when I was in the, the small community that I grew up in. Uh, they integrated in 1958, so I was used to going to school with whites. Okay, even though just, but all through elementary school, junior high school, they had integrated. So that had given me that experience, and Mr. Hake and Coach Wallace, they were. I mean, they were excellent at teaching me how to interact and what to do. And I, that's why they became my role models, because they they everything they said matched what they did. Yep. That, that it didn't it didn't it didn't vary off left or right. It was just straight center. And when I coached those when I coached my kids, all they wanted to do was be loved and coached and listened to white, black, brown. And, 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 and I can show you my phone. I, these guys are 50s and in the 50s and they're law, doctors, lawyers, they're all kinds. And they'll call me and they'll say, coach, you said this, you did this, you showed me this. And sometimes I get, I get older, Jeff. And, and when they said these things that I did, I start crying because I'm thinking I had that impact in your life. Mm. Whites, whites, browns. It, it, it's just that empathy, that coaching with that 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 compassion for the human being, always being there. That's what I saw in Mr. Hake and Coach Wallace, always being there, having that compassion, that humility to stand there, that empathy to be with them, to, to check on them, to, to take care of them. And, and it just, it, it leads to what Tom Ziegler says, a legacy that will ripple through eternity. I love it. Now, how much of the Friday Night Lights movie initially how much of it was more glamorized for hollywood versus no it was pretty doggone accurate with what was going on and how the story unfolded was there a piece of that that was that you said yeah it was it was pretty accurate versus no nah, there's there's a lot of hollywood story storytelling going on a lot of hollywood <laughs> always is right yeah they they really didn't um you know i don't know why they did it uh, we didn't play them 
Uh, we didn't we didn't play for a state championship. We played in the semifinals is when we lost to Dallas Carter. The game wasn't 32-31. It was 14-9. It wasn't in Houston Astrodome. We played them in the University of Texas Memorial Stadium. It was cold, drizzling, and raining. Uh, Booby Miles didn't get hurt in the game. In his senior year, he never did play. He got hurt in preseason. And he never played because we had another kid that we stuck in his spot who rushed for 2,355 yards. So that Booby never showed up. He was never a captain. None of those things. And and they show a lot of the a cowboy kind of thing uh, with the kids and how they dressed and that. No, it wasn't like that. I mean, when I stepped outside, it wasn't filled with pickups. It was filled with BMWs. Okay. <laughs> it was money in Odessa, right. Texas, right? Wow. Okay. Well, that's a little inside of baseball there. All right. Well, it just, yeah, just shows you that, again, back to authenticity, right, what that really means. So you're in a point in your life now as we start to, to kind of transition into what you're doing today and what the impact is you're having. Uh, what are you involved in today and how are you continuing to to leave this legacy? I know you're a big legacy guy and you love that concept. Uh, what are you doing today and, and then how can others learn from you still today? Are you speaking out there a lot? Are you doing like, what, what's the main thing that where, where people can learn more about your life story and how to use your story to help them, them become better leaders? I've, I've written a couple of books, uh, Friday Night Lights, uh, Untold Stories Behind the Lights and Road Trip. Uh, I co-authored with Tom Ziegler. Uh, Friday Night Lights, my book, is about the inside story, the story that Buzz Bissinger didn't tell. It's about the relationships with the kids. Mm. And uh, the other thing that I do, since I've retired, my wife and I, we travel. I've gotten requests to do a lot of speaking. I, we travel all across this nation from East Coast to West Coast. And uh, I do uh, a keynote speaking, just like you said, on legacy. But we also do uh, team uh, uh coaching, group coaching, and team and group mentoring. Uh, God has blessed us to have a full calendar. And it, it is really, really amazing that people still respond uh, to that message of, of love. Bottom line is kindness, empathy, compassion, vulnerability, all equate to being love. That's, I don't think that's, that's the age old principles that are never going away, right? That's, and when we can start to adopt that more, that's why I wanted to have you on too, is I just feel such a, a pull and a call now to get as many people that are going to express that out to the world as possible to combat the negative energy that seems to be in a 24-7 news cycle. Because we know that people are listening and whatever they're listening to is what's going to form that belief, even subconsciously. So we need more of us out there, you know, preaching this gospel of love and compassion and empathy and and how to make a legacy that, that, that matters to people based on those principles, right? That's why I wanted to have you on. So uh, where, where can folks learn more about how to book you in for your speaking or any of your training? Where should they go? Uh, website is drnadehearn.com. Uh, uh, you go on the website and you just click and it'll take you to uh, uh, the page set up for uh, a 30-minute consultation. And then if you want to, hire me to speak. And we also are, are doing a seminar, a summit uh, this uh, April with several of the players from Friday Night Lights, a former NFL player. Uh, and we want to talk about just what you said, love, and how to get that out uh, to 
to this this nation, uh, how we get that compassion, that integrity, that empathy out uh, to make a better world. I love it. So it, the, the link's in the description and in the page, but for those who may just be listening, it's Dr. Nate, N-A-T-E-H-E-A-R-N-E, drnatehearn.com. And there's also one other thing I wanted you to be able to share with you, some of the nonprofit work you're doing out there as well. Can you share a little bit about that and, and, and who you're doing that with and where we can learn more about supporting that? Uh, God, God blessed me with an opportunity that uh, several uh, NFL players came to me who wanted to do a fundraiser for schools around in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And they asked me because they they kind of knew that I, you know, my the relationship with kids and uh several of them played on the Super Bowl teams uh in the 90s with, with Jimmy Johnson and one who was in the 80s with Coach Landry. He was there too, and his name was Eugene Lockhart. And uh we did that, I did that with them, and then they just kind of left. But Eugene Lockhart stayed with me. His, his, his name was the hitting machine. He still has a record for the Cowboys in a season for tackles from middle linebacker position, 224. Wow. That record will never be broken. Wow. <laughs> he, he, he kept coming back. And so I have a nonprofit where we we take care of families, needy families. We feed them during Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, shoes, backpacks, clothes, coats. We've been doing that for 15, 16 years now. My 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 uh, nonprofit is called Euless, E-U-L-E-S-S, Loaves and Fishes Foundation. Uh, we've been running that foundation for the last 19 years. And uh, it's on the website, drnatehearn.com. If you want to sign up or donate or whatever you feel like you want to do, that's what we do. And we take great pride. And having those families. And that primarily serves the, the greater Dallas Fort Worth area. Is that right? Yes, sir. Okay. Love it. Yeah. So Euless Fishes and Lowe's, go to the go look that up. You can look it up, find the link through Dr. Nate's website as well. Um, man, this is I feel like we should we just got started. This like, you know, the introduction to the book. We didn't even really get into the depth of the chapters, but I wanted our audience just to get a, a flavor for who you are, because you so perfectly align with what we believe and what the messages we're trying to get out in the world. So we'd, we'd love to have you back on again sometime, but I, I wanted everyone just to get an introduction to meet, meet you and go learn more about you. So thank you very much for being on our show. Yes, I'm honored. I'm truly honored. And Matt and Jenny, thank you all for giving me this opportunity. God bless you. Yeah. Yes. It's our, it's our pleasure. So uh, thank you again and uh, be blessed and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.